Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 1 May 2022. We got Cuckoo Bees, Dental Bots, Password Day, Sheet.js, F5, and Vodka. All this and show wrap-ups on the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Cyber criminals are working overtime. Last year in the fourth quarter alone, phishing attacks disguised as COVID testing information increased by 521%. Barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cyber criminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers. Find out about the 13 email threat types and how Barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams, your customers, and your reputation. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. Monitoring and maintaining compliance is a never-ending struggle with a high price of failure. Firemon helps customers meet complex and varying compliance requirements. Firemon has fully customizable reporting, analytics, assessments, and dashboards to meet the compliance needs of any organization. With Firemon, compliance reports take a tenth of the time, and real-time continuous compliance eliminates the anxiety and headaches of audit preparation. Improve security outcomes by improving security operations with Firemon. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Firemon to learn more. All right, I'm Doug White, and this is the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show, Episode 210. Wow. On Application Security Weekly, number 195, John and Mike had Lynn Marks, the product manager at Imperva. Lynn was on to talk about bad bots and how bad bots accounted for 27.7% of global website traffic in 2021. So, you know, they basically talked about bots and the risk that bots create for your enterprise, as well as some Imperva products that detect bots and so forth. But I mean, that that's a lot of bot traffic, but it's not surprising. And, you know, I mean, that's the gateway to Skynet, right? In the second segment, the AppSec News. On Business Security Weekly number 261, Ben, Jason, and Matt uh, had Dave Klein on the show. The segment was about how to evaluate if your security tools are actually effective which is a pretty good question. I mean, I mean, I think we really should be asking that question a lot because a lot of these tools are quite expensive and, and how do we, you know, determine ROI and all these kind of things about them. I've been asked that question before and, you know, somebody says, should we drop $100,000 on this appliance? And you're going, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. And of course, if you ask the company, of course it's worth it. In the second segment, the business security news. On Enterprise Security Weekly 272, Adrian, Katie, and Lee had Prasad Baliga, uh, a senior security consultant at Palo Alto on the show. Prasad was on to talk about how security automation is going to be an absolute necessity. It was just something a lot of us have said in the past. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's going to be a component of the security, you know, your security posture, uh, because essentially due to the large number of incidents and the constraints of budget and so forth, we're never going to have enough people. We're never going to have enough eyeballs to actually evaluate the um, um, immense. I mean, imagine trying to evaluate 27% of all net traffic is, is bots. You know, that, that would be a bit. They did talk about security orchestration, automation, and response uh, approaches. Uh, you know, that's, uh, of course, where multiple tools are being managed by a centralized resource. And I do, I do think all that is, is a way forward, is, is to create those kind of centralized environments where all of your security tools are, are available 
in that model. But I do think that automation is going to be an app. I mean, it's always been, you know, necessary. There's no way anybody can go through all that, all those logs. And, and of course, that's a great application of neural nets and machine learning and other kinds of approaches is to learn about how those things work. Uh, in the second segment, Ryan Fried, the uh, senior security engineer at Brooks Running, joined uh, that show. And they were, they were then talking about how you get value from these same kind of systems, these SOAR systems, and how to focus on orchestration and response. In the third segment, Enterprise Security News. On Security Weekly News number 209, Jason Wood talked about a botnet. Uh, so it was, it was like the week of bots or something. Uh, but Jason was talking about a botnet that u- uses QuietExit uh, to run on various devices. And QuietExit, of course, a big deal uh, that, that involved Pegasus and so forth. But this particular botnet uh, was just the, the story was about how this organization used their botnet to just slowly burrow into the victim's network for about 18 months like a guinea worm. D- don't look up guinea worm. You, you'll be sorry if you look up guinea worm, really. I'm, I'm not kidding. Um, on Paul Security Weekly, number 739, first up was Fadi Karayumak, uh, who's a friend of mine, and I can't say his name, uh, but uh, Fadi is a cyber risk lead at a large insurance company. Uh, Fadi was on to talk about ICS risk. He sort of specializes in that. And so it was a really, really good segment about ICS risks and research-based approaches to evaluation of risk in cyber industry. A lot of talk about insurance cyber insurance and things like that. So a, a pretty cool segment and Fadi's a really smart guy. And so, you know, check that out if you missed it. In the new format of Paul's Security Weekly, there's only two segments going forward. So segment two was the security news, which because there was more time included a whole lot of talk about Star Wars since it was the 4th of May and all. And, and Paul had all of his Star Wars gear out here on the table. So, you know, he had his lightsabers, including a broken lightsaber. Uh, and yeah, it was, you know, there was a whole lot of Star Wars stuff. You know, it's the 4th of May. Uh, my threat of the week is going to be convenience. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, if everybody just stayed in their caves and they left everybody else alone, things would be pretty safe, right? I mean, Thag doesn't try to mess with my rocks and filth, and I don't try to mess with Thag's rocks and filth. And, you know, so we just sort of leave each other alone and everything's fine. Now, the minute somebody says, well, if we shared this filth, it would be more efficient. Well, that's when things start to go south, right? I mean, because security is always going to be a trade-off between being isolated and safe and convenience because the minute you start sharing things, and this was, you know, if, if you're just a desktop computer sitting on your, on your desk at home and it's not connected to anything, it's pretty safe. But the minute you start downloading things, the minute you start taking floppy disks from somebody that loaned you and putting them in the machine, everything starts to go south. So, I mean, if the whole world had no locks, no passwords, no keys, no nothing. And we just all pile all our wealth and resources in a big heap and everybody takes what they need. Well, that sure sounds like a good idea until somebody decides they get to make rules or take more than their share. And then I decide, well, maybe I'll just go over there with a big tree branch and bust some heads. And then, you know, that well, that's basically all of human history at that point. So this story that I attached was about how you can now embed Python code directly in HTML tags, which immediately has both like a, oh, cool, uh, and then, oh, no, kind of, uh, you know, effect on me. I mean, it's very convenient thing to be able to do, but it's going to open up a whole new can of virtual whoop-ass, you know, by, by putting all the source code back on the page. I mean, like like it used to be, right? And you could do view source, and it was like, oh, look at this. Um, 
I mean, it's it's certainly when we talked about this on Security Weekly as well, but it's certainly no worse than JavaScript. I mean, because my immediate reaction was, oh, no, I mean, I love Python, but like, oh, no, Python's going to be on Web pages. That, that can't be good. But, you know, I mean, that's what JavaScript does. Um, and it, it's definitely better than Py than JavaScript because it's Python. Right. But I mean, but now every new vector is just another chance that somebody's going to get hurt. So I'm not a Luddite. And I really thought, wouldn't it be a lot easier to put things in browser windows since I can just tag it in so that part's cool and I can use the browser as my operational window and, and all those kind of things. But it does mean that bad code and insecure code along with any kind of secrets that people put in the code, not that that's ever a good idea, but you know that old view source code button is just going to pop right back up like in 1999. And I'm not opposed to this tag, mind you, at all, but, but this kind of convenience I think means that we definitely have to take great care that as you design sites and you you say wow cool now i can write all this python code on my page make sure that you include that security you know the security dev function to make sure we don't have developers putting hard-coded passwords in python like like they used to do all the time in and other you know other languages likewise i think the potential for abuse is high but, but, you know, convenience does rule the day. So PyScript will allow you to put an HTML tag in, and then you can put all the Python code you want right there on the page and let it execute. So that's great. It's going to make a lot of things easier. It's going to give a lot more functionality to various and sundry things, and it means you can write all kinds of code in a web page. But if, you know, and if you're like me and you don't really like or know JavaScript and you do like and know Python, well, that gives you that opportunity. So you can put the tags in, add the code, cool. But watch out because that also means there's all kinds of new vectors for injections as well as your source code being visible to everybody who looks at the page. Because if you assume people don't know how to click the view source button, boy, are you naive. So, I mean, I just got, uh, you know, in the habit probably in the last two years of not opening view source on just about everything to see if there was anything interesting there. And it had pretty much gone away. But, you know, that, that may well bring it back. Obviously, there's other approaches to this, and there's probably going to be encrypted ways to deal with some of this. I don't know. Maybe not. But uh, regardless, it's definitely a, an interesting paper about how to do this if you're interested. I mean, the tags already exist. So if you want to put Python on a web page and run it in a browser, there you go. You can do it. And now the news. The open source project Sheet.js, which is also called XLSX, which was how I had heard of it. I didn't actually know Sheet.js, but I knew, I knew XLSX. Um, they actually dropped support for NPM. So XLSX is, is downloaded about 1.4 million times a week on NPM, literally. I mean, it's a very, very popular thing. And it, what, it, what it's used for is it's used for Node.js, so the JavaScript tool, to parse Excel spreadsheets. You can actually build Excel spreadsheets and or parse them out using JavaScript. So, you know, what happened? I mean, why this big move away from NPM? Well, uh, if you read the article, it's not exactly clear. Uh, there were speculations that, it, that it's a precursor to some kind of legal action by uh, Sheet.js, which is the company that supports this. Uh, it is an open source product, so basically, you know, they can do whatever they want. But the, there was some speculation that there was going to be legal action against GitHub by Sheet.js and so forth over other matters. But the 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 argument cited was that NPM has started requiring two-factor authentication. And 
the claim from Sheet.js was that GitHub's abrupt decision-making and ongoing legal, legal matters between Sheet.js and NPM have caused issues for the company. So on the 14th of April, Sheet.js changed their code to remove any NPM dependencies and all URL references to NPM's domains within the source code. And they updated all this to Sheet.js CDN, uh, where so future versions of the code are going to be all released there at cdn.sheetjs.com. So if you do have products that are using this stuff, you may want to actually consider in your security side monitoring, updating some of this information uh, to make sure you're reflecting the way it's running now, because if, you, if you're still detecting on the other side, it may cause some problems. Um, apparently, though, based on common sense and last year's compromises, GitHub announced that they would require two-factor authentication to be used, but then they went on and they did something weird. They said only on the top 100 NPM packages. So that's a little arbitrary, in my opinion. You know, if you need it, I mean, it's just like, let's just pick these top 100 people who are the most powerful people with the most leverage and let's target them. Not that I don't think they should require two-factor, mind you. Sheet.js did not want to cooperate, so they left. I mean, they basically said, you know, that's it. No, we're out. Now, it did start to sound like maybe this was just an excuse, but Sheet.js says that other actions uh, by GitHub, such as shutting down its git.io URL redirection service with only four days' notice to developers and so forth, added to their reasons for departure. And it is a world of open source and anything can happen. But if you read the article, you'll see later. And I didn't really document all this because I, I don't like to document speculation. But several people were speculating that there's other legal actions forthcoming. And so they wanted to break all ties. F5 is back in the news. Uh, if you remember a couple of years ago, F5 went through a whole cycle of, it seemed like every week I was talking about them. But uh, now they have, uh, they have issued a security advisory warning about a flaw that would allow unauthenticated attackers with network access to execute arbitrary system commands, manipulate files, and disable services on their big IP devices. The, the exploit is a 9.8 severity, and it can lead to a complete system takeover. The flaw is in the iControl REST component, which is, uh, involves authentic authentication, and it would allow the attacker to send requests to bypass the authentication mechanism in big IP devices. CISA issued an alert on the matter, so if you're using these and you subscribe, you probably already got alerted. Uh, F5 has introduced fixes in most of the current products, but said they would not be patching uh, branches of 12.x and 11.x, which are re well, those are pretty old. But you may still be using those, right? So you, you definitely just you know take take five and go check your check your systems and make sure if you're using big IP uh, uh, stuff. The advisor does the advisory does clarify that big IQ centralized management F five OS A F five OS C and traffic SDC are not impacted by this flaw. Uh, there are some mitigations provided in the advisory if you're not able to patch for some reason. Uh, and the issue apparently impacts more than 16,000 devices worldwide per Shodan scan. So if you're using this, you definitely should take a moment. We can wait. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but yeah, seriously. Uh, Google Docs has an issue that sounds like something from a long time ago as well. If we're on historical stuff today, Apparently, if you type a specific series of words into a document, well, that document then may be toast. Uh, so Bleeping Computers said they, they were able to reproduce this issue, and I actually tried it, and yeah, it did work. 
Uh, basically, they were advised by Google that Google was working on a fix for this problem. So apparently what happens is if, if you have grammar checking turned on and you type uh, and, 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 so five times, it has to have a capital A. <laughs> like, who figured this out? But we used to see these kind of things all the time, right? People would find these old, weird things that cause problems. Somebody figured this out. So somebody typed and, period, and, period, and, period, and, period, and, period, all with capital A's. Uh, and when they did that, uh, and grammar suggestion was turned on, it basically crashed the document. Now, I don't know if the person was trying to write while under the influence or something like that. Um, I mean, you, I don't know any reason on earth you would type this, maybe in a novel or something, you would type this intentionally, but but it, you know, it, it seems very stylized. But the bug could be reproduced. I mean, I, I even did it. Uh, other researchers have now claimed that if you do it with five butts, and I'm not going there, uh, with capital B's and so forth, not with two T's, mind you, uh, although that might work too. Apparently, all sorts of things that have five words that start with a capital letter and are terminated with a period uh, work. And I didn't spend a lot of time on it, and I don't think Bleeping Computer did either. But but if you want to, if you want to, feel free. I and mean, you can even write a script maybe to generate you know all kinds of different things. Maybe it works on any set of words like that. But anyway, once you put that in the document. It crashes, and when you try to reopen the document, it basically won't reopen. It says, you know, it says cannot open this document. So apparently you can, however, if you've done this, and it's like, oops, I did this on my dissertation. Oh, that's not good, and I don't have a backup. I, I keep expecting to get those calls today. But apparently if you open it in the Google mobile app, and then you can remove the phrases and, and turn off this uh, grammar, you know, checking, you can then reopen it on the browser. But meanwhile, don't leave your paper open while you go to the bathroom during finals week because, you know, that's like middle school attack number five is like somebody jumps on your machine and types this into your document and then crashes it. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Uh, well, much like here at Security Weekly, Russia depends on alcohol to function. Whether it's that early morning wake-up shot of tequila, the post-wake-up Bloody Mary with Valentina extra hot, or just the old second breakfast Irish coffee, Maybe maybe we have a problem. I'm, I'm not sure. But but anyway, hacktivists working for the Ukrainian IT army, ha, you know, if you recall, the Ukrainian uh, government invited anyone in the world who wanted to join their IT army. Um, they have been focused on distributed denial of service attacks on a portal that apparently represents a critical supply chain point in the distribution of alcohol in Russia. And I mean, I've been to Russia. It's a cool place. Uh, I, I really liked it. Uh, they had great food and very nice people, uh, it, you know, until they start invading, you know, other countries, which is not cool. But most of the Russians, I don't think, are really that into that. Um, but much like the United States, the Russian government likes to keep their hands on the old alcohol tiller because guess what you can do for alcohol? You can tax it, you can control it. And if you regulate alcohol, you regulate everything, right? Because yeah, the federal government can come in and go, if you don't do this, we're not going to let you sell alcohol anymore. And then, you know, that's, that's how people get out the pitchforks and torches, right? Um, but anyway, the EGAIS portal is a required place that you have to use, uh, like a lot of US government type stuff as well, to produce, distribute, et cetera, alcohol in Russia. So you can't, you have to use these portals in order to, I guess, get permits and whatever else stamps or I don't really know how alcohol distribution works in Russia. When I was there, it was just like here. And I was like, hi, I'd like nine shots of vodka and some caviar, please. Um, 
and, and but they do have good vodka i mean without it and i don't even like vodka but but i mean if you're in russia you kind of have to drink vodka right i mean come on but uh you, of course now you can't really visit russia anymore thanks mr putin um so i tried going to egais.ru this morning and i did get a timeout error and I probably got put on the no-fly list forever for trying to go there, but but it did appear to be down. So keep up the good works, folks. Russians, go home. Like, go home and drink vodka. I mean, I, I really think that would be a good idea. And then everybody can get back to drinking in peace. And the Ukrainians can drink Ukrainian vodka, and the Russians can drink U U Russian vodka. We can all drink Ukrainian and Russian vodka again. Polish vodka, also good. Czech vodka, also good. Uh, yeah. So yesterday was apparently World Password Day. I did not get my invitation in the, way, in the mail, uh, Mr. Biden, so it must be lost or something like that. I'll, I'll keep watching for it. But anyway, in celebration of World Password Day, apparently there's some kind of world day for almost every day of the year now. But in celebration of this, Apple, Google, and Microsoft announced a joint effort to kill the password once and for all. Good luck with that. Basically, what they're advocating for uh, is, is, is no password sign-in, and they want to use the approach that was advocated by the FIDO Alliance and the, and the World Wide Web Consortium. So basically what this is, is it's called it's the, the multi-device FIDO credential or passkey. And the way it works is that when you need to sign into anything pretty much on a system, uh, what happens is a Bluetooth, so underline that twice, a Bluetooth request, because uh, there's never been any security problems with Bluetooth, uh, but a Bluetooth request is sent to a mobile device that has to be in close proximity to the, the other device. And that is going to authenticate the user who enters a biometric, like a fingerprint or even a facial scan or a PIN number into the device, very much like two-factor approaches that we all pretty much use all the time with authenticator apps you know, out in the world. Now, unlike other systems which we have seen in use that require local internet connections or Wi-Fi or something like that, this one is using Bluetooth. So it, it literally you have to be close enough for Bluetooth to detect your device. And I would presume that means that the other side of the device has to have Bluetooth on it as well. Um, I didn't say anything about whether they had other, you know, other pipelines for that. But I mean, I, I have been saying we need to get rid of passwords for a long time. I've been saying that probably since the 1980s because I, I've, you know, password, you know, password stuffing uh, or credential stuffing and password spraying has been a thing as long as there have been computer systems. I'm sure way back when, you know, Grace Hopper and people were like talking about this. But um, I'm not sure what happens when you lose your phone and you need to access something. But honestly, I mean, aren't we just like months away from total dependence on mobile devices, you know, anyway, and we'll be, you know, celebrating our new mobile overlords. Anyway, Apple has this system up and running currently in iOS 15 and in, in uh, Mac OS Monterey. Uh, and Google and Microsoft are planning to roll this out over the coming year, it said. I don't know if that means 2022 or 2023, uh, but I'm not sure. But, you know, does your desktop support Bluetooth? Does every device on Earth support Bluetooth? I mean, mine does. So I guess we'll find out what other devices don't. And, and don't lose your phone. I mean, I mean, honestly, I believe passwords will be. I'll believe it when passwords are actually gone. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. But it is a step forward. And the Fido Alliance does have a pretty good model for this. So maybe one day we can get, get away from this. So Operation Cuckoo Bees. <laughs> like, who names these things? eyeball mcsqueezy right that's that's my name for microsoft um operation cuckoo bees was discovered and named by cyber reason 
who has a much more sane name for their company, but but op, they called it Operation Cuckoo Bees. So okay, if you find it, you get to name it. Um, anyway, I mean, I it's yeah, <laughs> I, I like the name. Uh, the operation is being attributed with, as they said, a high degree of confidence to Win NTI, who is also called Apt Forty One, which is also called Barium and also called Blackfly. So you know. I guess lots of people got to name this, but when NTI is attributed with a high degree of confidence to the People's Republic of China. Uh, anyway, when NTI is a group that uses multiple malware strains and builds fairly sophisticated attacks, uh, Cyber Reason says that they start by typically finding an ERP product that has multiple vulnerabilities, some of which may not be public yet, so they may find their own zero days and use them. So it sounds a lot like how NSA operates and other government uh, nation state type groups. And then they once they do that, they begin injecting payloads <coughs> into the VMware service host.exe files. And if that's done, it allows them to install shells and cred dumping tools and all kinds of things. Uh, the report says that Operation Cuckoo Bees started in 2019 and remained undetected until 2021. So it definitely sounds like a nation state to me uh, because they, they have that level of control, you know, where, where they don't just go nuts and, and get discovered very quickly. Um, and it says they've probably been collecting data since then. Uh, the analysis was shared with the FBI. It's definitely worth a read if you're interested in such things. Uh, it definitely sounds like Chinese approaches to, to exfiltrating information and product designs and anything else that they want to steal. And they definitely stayed below the radar for a long, long time. So an interesting report uh, from Cyber Reason. And finally, I saw a couple of stories this week about neural nets being used to detect cavities in your teeth. And I did a quick search. Now, I, I didn't put all the links to all those different articles because you may not care that much, but I did put in a link to an article called DentNet, Deep Neural Transfer Network for the Detection of Periodontal Bone Loss Using pa Panoramic Dental Radiographs. Nobody can name stuff like academics, let me tell you. I mean, they, they don't have marketing departments, so they just get to name it whatever the academics would have called, but it's a pretty accurate name. Uh, and yes, it's an academic paper. But, you know, basically when I think of AI medicine, I always go back to that. You remember the surgeon in Logan's run? There was like this surgery clinic where you could get like plastic surgery done and it was done by a robotic surgeon. Very forward thinking for the 70s. It, but, you know, it was the one that went berserk and chopped up poor old Holly, who was played by Farrah Fawcett, mind you. And, and poor old Holly got chopped up into decorative ribbons. Yeah, that. But regardless, I do think this is a really good use for AI. I mean, can you train a neural net to identify a type of cat by looking at cat pictures? Yep. And can you make it look at lots and lots of cat pictures and figure out all kinds of things? Yep. So obviously it could look at lots and lots of boring dental x-rays and find bad things really quickly, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's what neural nets are for. And I mean, the neural net uh, in this paper actually outscored all the, they did a test. They, they had dental techs looking at test data and they had the neural net looking at test data and it outscored the dental techs on the test set. Not, not grossly outscored them, but it did outscore them. Now, I, I will tell you, I wrote a punk rock neural net. I was fiddling with it uh, using bot Libre. And, uh, and here's what my punk rock neural net said when I said, I want to, because it's supposed to write song lyrics. It said, I are go to quattro crappic holo woo wish ludi hat woma. And I thought, well, it doesn't really work. But I realized that this is more punk rock than all of the punk rock cramps lyrics and Lou Reed lyrics and germs lyrics that I fed the poor thing. Anyway. 
That's a wrap for the week of 1 May 2022. I'm Doug White. I'll see you next week on Security Weekly News.